Welcome to the Intellectual Freedom Podcast. Here we analyze politics, culture, technology, and society at large through the lens of critical thinking and open-mindedness, not demagoguery and partisan hyperbole. I'm Dr. David Hopkins, Humanities Professor, your host and guide. So without further delay, let's get started. In the craziness of this election season, none of us have experienced an election like this. But of course, it is 2020, so we probably shouldn't have expected anything different. I live in Florida, and it almost feels like walking outside after the aftermath of a hurricane and surveying the damage. The wreckage of this year and the election will persist in the American psyche for quite a while. I know I shouldn't be surprised and neither should you, that a human-created institution, our government, has become corrupt, ineffective, and inefficient. Eventually, all systems created by humans do, but the stunning break in American society at large from trust in our government and institutions like the press, or even with each other over politics, has been very fast and profound. The situation isn't that unique, though, as humans have this propensity to slowly, over time, destroy from within the governments they create. As the theoretically pure concept or idea becomes corrupted by bad actors, bureaucracy, greed, or any combination of these negative human characteristics. Examples abound across the spectrum of civilization of how all kinds of systems, they corrupt, they decay, they fall, and eventually they're reborn in some new format. Even look at religious teachings, for example. Pure, good, positive concepts can be corrupted by the institution of religion or corrupt preachers. Companies, Founded on strong ethical principles and values, they can slowly change over time and give way to the desires of stockholders for quarterly profits or even rogue CEOs seeking more power and wealth. Our most amazing constitution, this this is a towering document to freedom never before seen, a bedrock of quality checks and balances and civic pride and responsibility can and has been replaced by politicians and especially political parties that show little care for the people many times, but utmost concern for power for either the RNC or the DNC institution. Party line votes are now the norm in, well, pretty much everything. Urban House members are expected to vote identically to rural farm representatives when the party calls them to act in concert nearly all of the time. Majority and minority quote-unquote whips. What an accurate term. They coerce, they persuade, they threaten representatives to take on party positions on key votes. But not the way the people actually put them in office would like them to vote, but the way that the party whips them to vote for or against certain causes. The bureaucracies are just out of control, operating often outside the purview of congressional oversight. The FBI, the CIA, the NSA, the HSA, or any of that alphabet soup of agencies with hundreds of thousands of employees 
they wield huge power or even worse, they have become advocates for one party or the other. In many ways, this reminds me of some of the history of the Roman Empire I teach in my humanities class. You know, in one of the darkest periods of the Roman Republic, it was probably starting around 275 BC, maybe up to 260 BC, and it lasted for almost three centuries. There was this elite unit of the Imperial Roman army, and they served as basically personal bodyguards and the intelligence arm for Roman emperors, and they were called the Praetorian Guard. And during this Roman Republic era, the Guard became notable for its intrigue and interference in Roman politics, to the point, actually, of overthrowing emperors and proclaiming their successors. There are even times in history when the emperor's seat itself was sold to the highest bidder, to the Praetorian Guard. It wielded that much power. Sometimes it feels like we're not that far behind that when we look at our bureaucracies. Our allegedly independent courts are loaded with judges who don't follow the rule of law, but follow the party line that put them in their lifetime seats. Parties quote-unquote judge shop to bring cases to courts that they know will rule along party lines. How disgusting. What an in-your-face snubbing of the Constitution and the separation of powers. Courts, Courts and judges that are acting like politicians, they make our court system no more legitimate than a rubber stamping banana republic like Venezuela. Rules broken by the highest government officials, they're simply ignored, while the common people are held accountable to major punishments. Politicians spend like drunken sailors without regard for the future, as long as their short-term goals of re-election are met. We're pushing upwards of $30 trillion in debt. $30 trillion. We couldn't in a thousand lifetimes pay that money off. And before anyone here who's either a partisan Democrat or Republican says, well, if it wasn't for the Democrats or if it wasn't for the Republicans, this national debt has been doubling for every single president and every single Congress for the last 30 to 40 years. So I don't want to hear any talk anywhere about it's one party or the other. They both are doing this identically. They're selling the future down the road in debt. Voter fraud or distrust of the late is is really almost the last sacred cow left of democracy. Election integrity is now under question. Was there widespread voter fraud or was there not? I don't know. You can hear both sides give the exact opposite point. At, at this point, I, I don't know. I don't even care. Uh, but if there was widespread voter fraud and it's not caught, Stalin's statement is exactly prophetically true when he said, quote, it doesn't matter what the who the people vote for, but who counts the votes that matters, end quote. That's a little bit scary, isn't it? Any American who thinks it's okay to cheat if my party wins is complicit in the collapse of our democracy. This should not be a red or a blue issue. It should be a democracy issue. The brilliance of how disgusting our media has become is if you turn on two separate stations on this topic of voter fraud, you will get the exact opposite response.
The conservative media says it's obvious, it's blatant, and it's everywhere. And the liberal media is saying there was absolutely no problems whatsoever. Probably somewhere in the middle. Who knows? But what works great in getting rid of democracy is there is no longer truth. There is just various narratives. And we're here on this very important topic. I mean, I could go on and on of why our system is broken, but you pretty much know these already. What I want to talk about in this podcast is a very serious and a very real issue. And so sadly, it is time to ask some very important questions. One, can democracy survive the current onslaught of the political parties killing true democracy as they're seeking unadulterated power? And number two, if it is dying or maybe it's already dead, is it possible to put the broken glass back together or is it possible to even resuscitate and bring back to life democracy? These are key, important questions. In my lifetime, I didn't think I would ever see or hear what I do from Americans today attacking each other. Somehow, along the way, the connective fiber that binds us together is breaking into a very sick tribalism. The political parties have so masterfully manipulated a large segment of the American electorate, in the midst of their own utter incompetence as politicians, they have convinced millions of Americans that they, the politicians, are not the problem, but the voters on the quote-unquote other side, they are the ones to blame. It's stunning that people have bought this lie Sure, the politicians, they've basically given away our entire manufacturing base to globalist policies. Sure, they've got us in countless foreign wars that never end, but the military-industrial complex gets richer and richer every single year. Sure, the politicians have ballooned the national debt to nearly $30 trillion, and they play partisan games on every topic, but somehow, some way, many Americans have literally been bamboozled by the media and shameless politicians to think the Trump voter or the Biden voter is responsible for it all. Americans are blaming other voters, not the politicians. How utterly insane is that? I have to give the political parties credit for one thing. They are the slickest devils, the most vicious wolves in sheep's skin clothing, and the most straight-faced set of liars that you could ever find. If they have one talent, it surely is they can stare square in a camera and lie like none other. So if or when our democracy fails... No, it will not be an alleged racist Trump voter. And no, it won't be a Biden supporter who wants to live in a a socialist dystopian world. It will be corrupt politicians from both parties who caused the collapse. Yet I think in general, there are limitations to our democracy besides the current batch of thieves and liars in D.C. 
if it was just so easy as get rid of all of them, that would be easy enough. But there are other things going on. Again, I love this country. I served in the the military, the the army. I would die for this country, but still, we have some very serious problems here. And they're being exacerbated as the corrupt nature of our politicians gets worse and worse. It's lazy to not openly look at our problems because if we don't do it, we're in trouble. We need to analyze our democracy, the flaws, so we can understand them. The time for this Pollyanna, pie in the sky, all is great in American democracy, it has to end now before it's too late. It's time to really look at problems and then maybe we can begin to craft some solutions. So what are these problems that are inherently embedded in democracy that have been many ways and many Americans have never really looked at before. Well, first of all, short-termism is built into the democracy. You know, our elected officials in power are only there for a few years before they have to go up for re-election. The House of Representatives every two, the Senate every six. So, so they know that if they overspend, overtax, print or borrow even more money, They themselves can experience the temporary benefits of this debt spending, but their successors, who might even be their political opponents, they suffer the long-term disadvantages. So that proverbial kick the can down the road is just perverse in our society. And politicians... They behave like careless tenants, really, instead of responsible owners. Our democratic rulers, they wreck the economy, squander our liberty, neglect our security, sold our autonomy, inflated our currency, weakened our borders, ruined our public finances. Clearly, they they do not care or they're unable to act responsibly when looking at the long term because they can't do it. They just sweep these things under the carpet. They trivialize them. They buy them off with extra spending or they respond with even more laws and regulations. This is interesting because the most hardcore communist country in the world, our number one competitor, our number one enemy is China. Now, in contrast to this short termism that we see in American democracy, look at China. Their leadership can do a two year, a five year a 10-year, a 20-year, a 50-year strategy for the country as a whole. In the United States, we can't even come close to that. When a president takes office, if they have the ability of holding the House and the Senate simultaneously, they got two years to get whatever they're going to get done done. Because if they don't get it done in two years, the reality is they're going up for re-election and they may lose the House or they may lose the Senate and then their ability to pass any new legislation is gone. Or in a worst case scenario, whatever they did will just simply be reversed. And so this short termism is built in democracy. When Donald Trump first took office, he basically wiped out every executive order that Barack Obama did. And Joe Biden's promised to do the same if he does actually take over as the president of the United States. He's promised he's just going to wipe out all the Trump executive orders. It's just a it's a seesaw. It goes up and down and up and down. And that's not healthy and that's not good. And that will not help our country in the long run. That's a problem with democracy. Another problem. Democracy is totalitarianism. Now, this seems counterintuitive, but think about it just for one second. The problem with American democracy is it is that there is no fundamental limit 
on the kinds of questions, issues, problems about which the majority in power or the state can decide upon, whether it's about working conditions, uh, floor, type of flooring in a restaurant, wages, health care, education, uh, gender-neutral bathrooms, soft drinks in large bottles, or what's the right size, smoking in one's car, smoking in the workplace, forcing people to wear masks or stay locked down in a house. Basically, the government can find a justification through vague laws and statutes to do, well, just about anything they choose to do. Democracy allows the government to micromanage our lives, to control us, to spy on us, and to steer us, all with the excuse that it's, quote-unquote, in our own best interest, end quote. (laughs) Whoever disobeys can expect a fine or imprisonment. No money, property, or individual liberty is actually safe from our democratic state we have in our country. Constitutions are a paper tiger that have proven to be unable to limit state power or federal power. Let's look at COVID-19. On the surface, with COVID-19 and you look at the mask mandates, of course it's a common sense thing, right? That we should try and protect ourselves and our loved ones with masks. But have we considered politicians who are always looking for more power, are probing the limits of how much they can take away from us. Do you suppose it's possible that our government officials don't necessarily care about us as much as being able to probe how far they can push these unlegislated restrictions? And I say unlegislated because we have governors and officials making closing down businesses, forcing certain things to happen or not happen, literally dictating in Florida at one point we had, you could go to the beach, but you couldn't sit down on the beach. You had to stand and keep moving on the beach. If that isn't micromanagement at the most highest level, I don't know what is. And this isn't about Democratic or Republican. It's about a government that has a totalitarian ability to manipulate and control what we do as long as the people give that away. Another problem. In a democracy, everyone tries to live at other people's expense. I mean, I hate to say that so blatantly, but it really is true. People generally vote to put their personal wishes on the collective tab. Politicians know this and they understand this well. And you may say, no, that's not me. That's not true. Actually, it absolutely is. Because explicitly or implicitly, the politician you vote for says, vote for me and I'm going to do, I'm going to take care of you. In whatever format that may take, this redistribution is not necessarily always from the rich to the poor. It can be the reverse too, as we saw with the bank bailout bailouts, which was take from the poor and give back to the rich during our housing collapse. Look, be honest. How often have you voted for someone who didn't first satisfy your own perceived self-interest, but rather you voted for somebody not out for your own best interest that you were willing to sacrifice, but for the collective well-being of others? How often does that really happen? I don't mean to be a pessimist, but if we want to be brutally honest in a democracy, P- 
people first voteth vote to satisfy their own perceived self-interest. The best candidate is the one that best meets your needs as a person, not the collective good of society. There's a very big danger in this characteristic, but it's just human nature. Sure, we can always convince ourselves that being good for me will also be good for the country, but let's face it, an honest, altruistic perspective is not generally, if ever, used. If it was, we wouldn't have a national debt of $27 trillion. An example very near and dear to my heart is student loan debt. I see how enslaving it can be. Just yesterday, President-elect Joe Biden said he would move to forgive student loan debt as it was too much and it was not quote-unquote fair that graduates were saddled with so much debt. Student loan debt is obscene. The cost of college is ridiculous. The fact that administrators of all kinds nearly outnumber the teaching faculty is, well, rather disgusting to me, but hey... This isn't a higher education uh, podcast right now, but I digress. But let's look at this thing of student loan. Is it fair that college graduates have debt forgiven? But what about those who didn't go to college at all and are just working full time in a, maybe they went to a tech school. Is it fair that their tax money for the rest of their life should fund newly minted engineers who got debt relief? Is it fair For those students who were very frugal with finances, went to cheaper colleges and and were being fiscally responsible, they ended up with no debt through sacrifice. And now for the rest of their lives, they're going to pay into a system to help pay for those that had their student loan forgiven. Is it fair that those students who already went to college 20 years ago and worked 10, 12 years sweating away, struggling to pay off their student debt, and they paid off their debt already, is it fair that they then have to pay the student loan debt for the rest of their lives for other students so they don't have student loan debt? Is it fair that those that never had debt, or kids, or college, pay taxes to cover other people's college for the rest of their lives? Is that fair? As we know for a fact, this debt's never coming off the public roll. It's tri- It's it's an astronomical amount. I don't have the number in front of me as I'm talking to you right now. It is huge. There's more student loan debt now than there is mortgage debt. It, it's just it's it's off the charts high and how quickly it's growing. This just shows one example of this fairness by government to give to one while taking away from another. The redistribution machine in democracy is crazy. Another thing, democracy is not about minority rights. It never was, and it can't be. We often think that the protection of minorities is a basic principle of democracies, but actually this is incorrect. For democracy to win, as we know in an election, it's the majority that wins. The majority rights are the ones that that take over. That basic principle of democracy is that the majority decides based on the vote. It is true. Majority may grant certain rights or often privileges to minorities, but this is subject to fads, not morality. And when I say minorities, I'm not necessarily just talking about color of skin. It could be religion. It could be... 
whatever situation. It could be a, a, a demographic thing. But democracy is not about minority rights. It's about majority rights. Sure, at times, minority groups become mobilized and vocal and they secure more rights or privileges. And sometimes they, even to the detriment of the rights of the majority, they will give up some rights. But this is an exception rather than the rule. For example, non, non-racial, non, non-socioeconomic smokers. There was a time where smokers enjoyed incredible freedom. But nowadays, they're not even allowed to smoke in private bars or private restaurants where everybody even inside the restaurant would agree to smoke. Historically, you take gay and lesbian. They enjoyed little protection. Nowadays, if a Christian baker, for example, wanted to not bake a cake uh, at one of their weddings, they could be sued. Small business owners and entrepreneurs have always been a minority, and they often suffer ever-increasing regulatory burden and taxes that the very large corporations find ways to get around. Individual liberty, not democracy, is about minority rights because the individual is the smallest minority. This is not the way American democracy, unfortunately, is set up. I want to stay on this minority-majority thing for a second and talk about COVID and this quote-unquote essential businesses. We We all remember back to when the country went on lockdown. And what we saw happen stunningly was that you had to be labeled an essential business to stay open. So, for example, the huge chain grocery stores were able to stay open and they were flooded with business, just flooded with business. But a mom and pop grocer or a small vendor They had to close for quote-unquote safety reasons during the lockdown. For the big box stores, the Walmarts of the world, the Publix, the Kroger's, these huge grocery chains, their profits shot through the roof and the small retailers were crushed. Amazon profits through the roof, but all the little vendors had to keep their businesses shut up and closed up. Democracy is not about the minority rights. It's about the majority rights. And small business owners are just maybe one of the most prime groups that were crucified during this last, during the pandemic. Democracy also protects the rulers from the people. It seems like it should be the opposite. But If we are honest, democracy doesn't protect the people against the rulers, but vice versa. Our elected politicians can start devastating wars under false pretenses. They can break election promises. They can print money until no more trees are left standing. They never end up in jail. Their excuse is that the outcome was of of the democratic process and that this was their interpretation. It's funny. If an individual business owner tries to cut a corner in a building project, for example, and the county uh, supervisor sees this, they'll fine them thousands of dollars for the error or the deceit. But a politician can safely squander billions of dollars on some megalomaniac project when they're in office and there's literally no consequences whatsoever. The worst thing that can happen to a failing government from the standpoint of a political party is that people stop voting for that party. But for the voter, 
the options are incredibly limited. That casting a vote one way or the other is only effective in extremely unlikely event that the new politician will actually behave differently than the previous one. With the two parties we have now, that probability is almost zero. So democracy really is a very bad way to control, to steer, or to limit political power. No wonder the federal government power is constantly growing and expanding, and and they're never held accountable for their actions. As an example, the Hillary Clinton email scandal. Look, you can... You can see her any way you want. But the fact is, if a frontline government office worker put a server in their house and used this government access for any of their job-related work or even their personal work, they would have been fired, they would have been prosecuted, and they would have been thrown in jail for years. This is just a fact. Yet time and again... Republicans and Democrats get caught red-handed, breaking the law, and nothing happens to them ever. Politicians are protected and shielded from the law, while the average citizen faces consequences for their actions, which tend to be more severe than anything a politician ever faces. Another one, democracy leads to oligarchy. If a citizen can only vote for one party, as in North Korea, for example, we call it a dictatorship. But if we can effectively choose out of two parties, such as in the U.S., it's seen as freedom. A single vote already carries little weight when we think about it, but a vote for a small, obscure third party in America or an independent candidate makes that weight feel even less. Therefore, people are off, often vote strategically. They do not choose their preferred party but the least bad big party. Americans believe by only choosing between the RNC or the DNC, at least their vote does count for something as the only two parties. These are the only two parties that really have a chance of coming into power. This usually leads to two, a duopoly like America, or three, sometimes you'll see a triopoly of large parties in other countries. And they form this oligarchy where they swap power back and forth. Yeah, you might have the presidency for four or eight years, but don't worry. You're always going to get a chance to flip it the other way. Same thing with the House. Same thing with the Senate. You know, for political newcomers, it has proven to be very difficult to break through the barrier, irrespective of any election threshold. Whether you like Donald Trump or you hated Donald Trump, he really was an outsider. And after history is written and all the emotion is gone, I think we're going to see that basically neither of these parties wanted that wanted him in power at all. And all of them are probably incredibly happy. And all the machine of bureaucracy, all the machine of media is happy to see him gone because he wasn't part of the club. So the question becomes, what in the world can be done in the midst of this huge mess. And there are things that can be done. You know, number one, Americans need to limit the power of the federal government every chance we get. Taking back power is very challenging because once the federal government takes authority over something, they don't give it back. 
very easy. We should try and get back whatever we can, but that may be not possible. But we should never give them any more power. We should oppose each step when they try to take more power in the name of protecting us, helping us, taking care of us. This isn't easy. And it kind of goes against that step of people voting for their own self-interest. But it is necessary. The average politician, we have to remember, is a millionaire lawyer. And they know how to frame words to make it seem like, oh, it's no big deal. Oh, it's a great idea to have this government program to help us. And when they offer these things up, like the Patriot Act, what a brilliant name. I mean, really, when Bush put this in after 9-11, the Patriot Act. I mean, who could not support the Patriot Act if you don't support the Patriot Act and mass surveillance of everything that we do every single day by the government? You must not be a patriot. Or Pelosi, here's the latest one, in her $3.5 trillion debt spending package, She named it what? The Heroes Act. Oh, how wonderful. A bill to help those in need and we'll all be heroes. And oh, all those heroes on the front lines. Oh my goodness, who would not support such a wonderful act? The Heroes Act also sounds so patriotic and wonderful. Don't buy the marketing propaganda BS from these people. Never give them more. Limit power every chance you get. I don't want us all to be obstinate children against the government all the time, but they have proven over the last 100 plus years that when they have a chance to take power, they will seize it, they will take it, and they will never give it back. Number two, we need more choices. We need more parties, third parties, independent candidates. We have to stop giving money to the RNC and DNC so these third parties and independent parties have a chance to grow. You know, if you plant a flower that needs sunlight in the shade, it's going to die. It's really hard. It's very hard for any third parties or independent party, independent individual to rise up in the midst of the piles of cash that are thrown at these political parties because they have the power and the clout to stamp them out. One of the ways and the things that we can do is just stop giving money to the RNC or the DNC completely and fund and give money and give opportunity and try and amplify voices of third parties. You may hate the libertarian, you may not like the libertarian party, but listen to them. Help foster situations that releases this stone cold grip that the RNC and DNC have. And then number three, those that have been in power, if Congress will not enforce term limits, which over 80% of America think are good, then we need to enforce term limits at the ballot box. We need to vote them out regardless of party. But before one and th- one through three, these three things can happen, we have to deal with something which is a very strong emotion and it keeps us glued to the status quo. It keeps us constantly doing the same thing that doesn't work over and over again. And that's denial. Americans at the core, we, we want to believe at heart 
that they they do have our best interests in mind. Maybe this is American optimism. Maybe it's naivete. Maybe it's just a life of doing the same thing and believing the party mantra. Or maybe it's a little bit of all of these things combined. But in large enough numbers, sadly, Americans still believe these two political parties offer the best opportunity available. If we're not careful, we're not going to have any opportunity left to make changes from these parties because they are rock solid solidifying their grip every single day. Believe me, they don't take a day off wondering how they can gain more power. They spend their entire waking life on this. And we have to understand that as Americans. The RNC and DNC, this concept they feed us, that they are the best solution, is almost always a lie. Yet denial has us pretending that the facts are not really as bad as they seem, or worse would be better if only the other side weren't screwing it up so bad. We've closed our eyes tight to the overwhelming evidence and pretend that nothing has happened and that their party offers the best chance. This has been going on for generations. We we pretend we are free to choose, but we don't like either choice. Is that actually freedom? No, it is not freedom when the choices are between Two parties that you do not like. It is a very sick form of coercion that the parties have put on us and it keeps us complicit in this dying system. Just imagine for a moment a collective outcry from America to Washington, D.C. From Democrats, Republicans, Independents, each and every time they attempt to take more power more of our privacy, control more of our, our our lives, we then just shoot them down immediately. Imagine a collective outcry and funding of multiple parties to meet the very diverse opinions of this country. And everyone could actually vote for someone they want to win instead of voting for the least worst candidate. Imagine if the next election cycle the collective country literally voted out of office every single incumbent politician, regardless of party, and replace half of Congress with brand new and fresh faces. Imagine how the politicians who didn't go up for election that cycle would be shaking in their shoes and change their bickering and their partisan politics when Americans say, you're going to be voted out in the next cycle. If you don't start serving the people now, your good old boy system is dead and buried and you will serve the people or you will be elected out of office, period, end of story. How wonderfully empowering that would be. But change can't and it won't happen if America stays in a collective state of denial of how bad things are. I'm almost to the point to think democracy is already dead in this country. We just don't fully realize it yet. A deer hunter, when they shoot a deer, often has to wait a few hours and track it, sometimes for hundreds of yards, depending on how the arrow or the or the bullet entered and where the entry point. Not to be gory, but the deer, after being shot, will run. It's, it's going to die. It just doesn't realize it yet. And many times, I think our democracy may be in such a state. 
So it's important for Americans to realize how fragile and precious this democracy is. One of the greatest ways to overcome denial is urgency. We need to act with urgency. The opposite is complacency or misdirected anger. This is where we are at right now. Either complacency and misdirected anger, they're a lot easier than dealing with the real problems. The positive thing in all of this is the foundation is strong. The Constitution, if we can return to it by weeding out the corrupt politicians, these two despicable political parties, and this bureaucracy that's all of a sudden thought they're like the Roman proletarian guard, then we may still have a chance to salvage the core purpose, the core essential things of our democracy and why it was created. I hope we can get there. We'll see if it actually happens. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. I hope you found value. You know, this topic's hard. I love this country, but our democracy is broken right now. And it's time for more people to start to awaken to the fact that this system, these two political parties do not serve our needs. And they are killing our democracy in front of our eyes. Remember, I generally publish new episodes every Monday and Wednesday. So if you click like or follow, you will be alerted when new episodes come available. Until the next episode, I hope you have a wonderful week.